0: This is Jonathan Green.
1: And this is Emily.
0: And welcome to Performance Check. Uh, Emily, what's our topic today?
1: Today, we're going to be talking about how to ha- create LGBTQ characters in your campaign.
0: Yeah, so um, you first approached me, uh, I guess it was maybe a month and a half ago, wanting to talk about gender and sexuality in RPGs. Uh, what made you want to bring up this topic?
1: Well I'm part of that community was one thing and because it was summer and everybody was having their pride parades and everything and it's been this ongoing debate in the community every time even like just recently Wizard of the Coast decided they would put out more inclusive characters and that was an uproar because people are for it and people are against it and that was my point was to have a good discussion about it
0: and uh, yeah this is going to be a great discussion we've got an amazing panel of guests today so chuck let's start with you tell us a little bit about yourself who you are your uh, kind of your background in the gaming and rpg world kind of where you fall on this you know the spectrum of gender and sexuality
2: sure uh my name's chuck lauer Uh, i've been gaming on and off since i was seven years old which was a, cu- a couple of decades now. And as far as where I am in this hobby, I'm really just an enthusiastic uh, participant. I really like going to com- uh, cons, to panels. Uh, and as far as this topic is concerned, uh, I am gay. I've been married to my husband for three years now. Uh, and, you know, I, I exist. I exist in this hobby space. Uh, and it's been really heartening for me to sort of see a broader acknowledgement of that fact. Excellent.
0: And uh, Liz, what about you?
3: Hi. Um, My name is Liz Brink. Um, I got my start in gaming back in the late 90s, uh, rolling dice, playing D6 Star Wars. Um, (laughs) uh, Spent a great deal of time writing games and playing characters in the 3.x what have you, um, and eventually sort of branched out into spending a lot more time in indie gaming and story gaming. These days, I have sort of continued to embrace that and spend most of my time playing games like dread the quiet year I am in love with fall of magic right now um and as for my own identity I am a queer woman so attracted to just about everybody actually I have a crush on the entire world um so I'm pretty excited to be here today
0: uh great and Amber what about you
4: Hi, um, I'm Amber Seeger, and I've been playing TTRPGs probably since I was 11. My first uh, experience was with this game called Champions, and then it really didn't like solidify with me until my friend Josh introduced me to D&D 3.5 uh, when I was in college, so about 20, 21 years old, and I've been playing with him um, ever since. Uh, it's been about, what, eight years or so, nine years playing uh, D&D. Um, I recently, I've only been a player, uh, and I recently started GMing, and I've started my own podcast, um, kind of exploring and sharing my um, my experience trying to GM. And I kind of lean more now towards like the indie RPGs. I really like storytelling. Let's see. Uh, oh, my identity. So uh, I've only just recently in the last four years come out as bisexual. Um, I've always known since I was like five years old, but haven't been comfortable expressing that. So uh, this is kind of a great podcast for me to be on to kind of like hey here i am
0: fantastic thanks and uh, finally danny what about
5: you uh my name is danny roanoke um i started playing fourth edition D back in what college in 2008 when the uh fourth edition had just come out and did a like year and a half campaign and then from there just Uh, I've been working my way away from fantasy, more towards post-apocalyptic and cyberpunk uh, narrative-driven games. Um, And as far as my identity, I am gender-fluid, and I came out, like, January of this year about that. So this is still kind of new for me, I guess. Um, So I'm still working on things and, and trying to, you know, fully explore and understand myself.
0: Got it. I mean I, I think everyone is to some degree. Um, yeah, one thing before we continue on, let me go ahead and make sure, you know, I you know, I, I am a straight white guy. Odds are I'm going to say some very stupid things. Like it's inevitable. Like I mean, regardless of what the topic is, I'll <laughs> say stupid things. Um, if I if I say anything, if I cross any lines, please someone just just let me know. It's it's coming from ignorance rather than malice, and I'm gonna do my best, but you know, inevitably I'll I'll definitely mess up
2: here. Um, well, I, I, really... I can't. Oh, sorry. I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I I do want to say that if somebody's coming from a good place, that will cover a multitude of sins in my book. And uh, I, I imagine other folks probably feel the same way. I yeah. Appreciate that.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, before we full blown get into this, uh, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. And I think right now we've got a brand new commercial from them.
6: Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? Noble Knight does. Remember when we stood against the giants? Noble Knight does. Remember Thako? Noble Knight does. Remember when the legendary Dragonlance was recovered to win the war? Noble Knight does. Remember Spelljammer? Mystara? Darksun? Planescape? Noble Knight does. Remember Chainmail? First Edition? AD&D 3.5 e noble knight does remember all the stories you haven't told yet all the games you haven't played noble knight a game store with all the best games from today and tomorrow and back through the ages of gaming history head over to the tomeshow.com to find a link to noble knight where out of print is available again and be sure to tell them that the tome show sent you
0: and we're back okay i guess before we uh just to really start digging into this um you know we talked a little bit about you know people's just very you know broad introduction to you know to gaming and kind of what what your identity is um what's been your experience with gender and sexuality in like rpgs itself is this something that you see coming up a lot in your in your games or is this something you don't really see touched with with the 10-foot pole um you know i you know, for me, just kind of to kick off the discussion, I was very hesitant about it because I started playing in that 3.x game, you know, where you had the people who's like, hey, I'm a lesbian and I've got big breasts. And I'm going to try to sleep (laughs) with everyone. And it it turned me off the whole subject. uh, Yeah, it's it's ridiculous now. It was ridiculous when I was 19 years old, but, you know, the old grognard stereotypes are true. So it really turned me off in this idea of playing different characters, playing different sexualities. I was like, no, never, not allowed. So I'm coming at this from a very negative perspective. So I'd love to hear... Uh, just some different ideas and different opinions, especially from y'all's you know, unique and varied and amazing experiences. Uh, let's go in reverse order. Uh,
5: Danny, we'll start with you. Um, I think for me specifically, using tabletop RPGs has given me a way of of exploring myself, right? I play a lot of one-shots. So if you sit down to play a one-shot, it tends to get, depending on the game, um, things like gender identity tend to get questioned less because you're sitting down for a two to four hour session instead of you know a year and a half to three years or whatever so it's been it's been kind of heartening for me to sit down and be like okay today I'm actually going to explore this side of myself at the table without necessarily telling everyone that I'm playing this character not because she's a rogue but because she represents a side of myself that I feel like I can't be in in essence uh in everyday life um and up until you know this past eight months or so that was one of the only ways i was able to do something like that um now it's it's getting a little easier but i mean that's been how i've approached a lot of games um especially with pre-gen characters and stuff like that going back to what you were talking about there's I have a lot of negative stories about stuff like that from other people um You know, from players I know and didn't know at the time sitting down at the table. But for me specifically, that's where my headspace comes from a lot is this, um, you know, everybody's grabbing a character sheet. I'm paying specific attention, sometimes more attention to, all right, what's written on the gender line instead of what's written on the class and or race line.
0: Uh, Amber, what about you? What's your experience with gender and sexuality in RPGs been?
4: So... Um, okay, so bear with me guys, because might be a little bit rambly. <laughs> so I've been going to conventions and stuff a lot, and when I typically um, play one shots, I tend to lean on playing um, male characters just because it's I feel like I don't know these people at the table. I'm afraid of what the pers- or like I'm afraid of what people are going to like say about my character or get into situations or have comments thrown at around the table because there's a female present. So I tend to distance myself in places I don't feel safe in by just playing that male male character. Um, but I have actually had opportunities to play long-term campaigns where I've got to explore uh, sides of me through a character. So one of my characters, um, Milana, um, I've been playing with for the seven years. Um, I've had a lot of difficulty um, with, and this is specifically about sexuality, with being okay with being on the asexual spectrum. So uh, my character Milana, you know, I've used her to work through a lot of that uh, feelings about, you know, sex in general. And it's been really good for me and actually great because I've worked through a lot of stuff through her. And it's kind of been nice to be with uh, groups of people who accept that. And so if I say now to the people in my my gaming table, you know, I'm asexual they've been playing with my character for the last six years who's been sex averse or just in general, just not interested in that. And it's more accepting to the like, Oh, you're not, you know, well, what's wrong with you kind of thing. So that's kind of been my experience, uh, so far.
0: And uh, Liz, what about you? What's been your experience in games so far?
3: Um, I think that it's an interesting, like an interesting trajectory. Um, So historically, I've played with a lot of people who were deeply uncomfortable with gender nonconformance and anything that sort of existed outside of the heteronormative sphere. And so, especially in my early days, anytime that you kind of had like an encounter with any form of nonconformity, it was like very token, very, you know, blown out of proportion, very comical. And so to that end, I spent like Mm. years sort of correcting for that and so like if I sat down at a convention or like got handed a character sheet at Gen Con I would like I would fix my character so that she would be female like if mm-hmm. I got a male character I would immediately like on everything about them and make it a female character and that wasn't to address a discomfort that I had but to make sure that like my behavior was aligned to the comforts of those who were around me However, I think that kind of the more that I exposed myself not just to games but to the general like nerd community is that like it, it exposed me to nonconformity in so many shades. And especially as kind of this this quiet queer who grew up in a small town in South Dakota, it was so empowering to meet people who exhibited all of these characteristics that were outside of the norm and it made it so much easier for me to absorb them and then project them back into the games that I was playing and it really like made me a much more powerful voice with the people who I was playing with who were not comfortable um sort of with anything that existed outside of your you know your standard men are men women are women and men love women and women love men and um it was just this like reinforcing thing that, you know, I started very sort of straight-laced uh, uh, um, and everything contributed to this sort of growing awareness, not only of my own sexuality, but of, you know, issues that were like outside of myself. And so that's sort of, that's my ramble.
0: That's fascinating. Um, yeah. So there, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in both what you and Amber said that I definitely want to come back to later, but first mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure we, uh, We hear from Chuck. So Chuck, what's uh, your experience been with gender and sexuality in RPGs?
2: Well, so the first thing that I definitely want to say is that gender and sexuality exists in rpgs whether you acknowledge it or not it's this constant background noise you know you have uh princes and princesses and star-crossed lovers and marriages of you know alliance or convenience these things constantly exist in every game if if you have a game that has children those children came from somewhere uh it doesn't necessarily need to be explicit or stated but it's definitely there uh so a lot of times it's, it's been my experience that sometimes people complain about like politics being injected into games or games shouldn't have anything to do with sexuality. Games do have things to do with sexuality always, uh, whether or not we choose to comment on that. Uh, with that said, I, I've sort of seen this sort of movement toward acknowledging that other kinds of sexuality exist, that it's not just men are men and women are women and men love women and women love men and that's it, uh, which, is, which is really great because it's starting to enrich the hobby a little bit. As far as my actual experience is concerned, uh, because i started playing these games at you know seven years old uh coincidentally enough in south dakota uh on a family vacation it was fantastic uh and I just got bit by the bug and so since i've been playing since i was very very young prior to that sort of initial very confusing onrush of puberty uh and of course i stopped playing for a while in there which is kind of unfortunate because i think it would have been useful for me at least, to use gaming as a way to work through that. I was never able to do that. I worked through it in other ways. Uh, like like so many gay guys, I worked through it in theater, uh, but also brought that back to gaming, too. But uh, as far as how it comes into the games, for, for me personally, I see uh, a wide range of how uh, explicit or deliberate that's brought into games. There are some games where... Uh, a character's sexuality or any character's sexuality tends to not really come up a lot. Uh, on the other hand, I have also had games on the other end of the spectrum where it's been a very, very large plot point. Uh, I, I personally tend to primarily play uh, heterosexual or bisexual characters, mostly because that opens up some, some narrative space that I think is really cool to explore. Uh, but I, I do actually wanna get into that uh, a little bit later as sort of a discussion about uh, how and when this becomes part of the plot point. That was a little bit rambling.
0: Sorry. No, no, it's fine. No, this, I mean, this is exactly the kind of things that we, uh, we want to do. Uh, Emily, you want to run with this for a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, I'm quite newer to the hobby than everybody here. but And I luckily found a great group. Like, we are mostly women. There's only two guys in our group. And we're very accepting. But I find it, the funniest thing is when I play RPGs, I have a hard time playing them differently than I am because I identify as... Um, it's called flexible, so I mostly like women, but sometimes a couple men. And I tend to make my characters maybe a bit more bisexual than I am in real life. But since you're imagining the characters, they're always pretty in your head. Because I watch a lot of the shows out there on, like, on Twitch or the podcast, and a lot of the good ones are starting to involve more different characters and different things. And I think it's such a cool co- concept. I don't know um, else.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I guess the big thing is, you know, we, we've kind of mentioned the idea of using you know, RPGs and using characters as a way to explore this. Chuck, you just mentioned, you know, that you think it would have been very helpful. I mean, how, how do you think people should use RPGs to explore gender and sexuality? Is this a, is it a good place for people to, from, both, from all ranges of the spectrum, to explore? Or should it be more of a place where you find where you are on the spectrum and you play those kind of characters?
2: So does anybody mind if I start out? Go for it. Okay. That's a good um, I, I think that these are the kinds of characters that everyone should have the option of playing. I, I don't think at any point in time anyone should be forced to play a character of any sex or sexuality or gender identity that they're not comfortable with. Uh, X card principles absolutely apply in that case. Um, mm-hmm. w- with that said, I don't think yes. just... LGBTQ people should play LGBTQ characters. There is, there is space to, to move around in there and to learn uh, a, a, about yourself, not just to try on new identities, to in some ways see if your friends react poorly to it, which I understand happens a lot and uh, some folks talked about, but just to sort of try on that identity and experience some degree of, of sympathy for that. Uh, One thing to be careful with that, and this has come up in a couple of panels that I've seen, is, you know, don't ever mistake your experience of having sat down and played, you know, a a lesbian or a gender fluid character or a trans character for their actual experience. There are no stakes. There's no risk for you. And while that can open up your sort of experiences, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you know a lot about it. Uh, And I imagine folks will disagree with me on that point and will say that's something that that experience is so personal and it's so, so... Vivid to us that that it doesn't feel safe to have straight people there But I feel like that that's a really important thing for people to be able to do Okay, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead.
4: Oh, yeah, I was gonna pick up from there it was like after what Chuck said about, you know Nobody should be forced to play or You know one thing or other I think it would be kind of weird if I was relegated to only playing bisexual mm-hmm. characters yeah. It doesn't allow me to explore other viewpoints either and, um, I actually we are starting to play um, a blades in the dark game with my core group of players, and which is primarily um, straight white men. Um I'm one of six players and the only female and queer person. One of the character one of our players is deciding he wants to play a gender fluid um, a character who kind of has two personalities, one that he leverages with his gender fluidity. And so he, we've actually been having a lot of good discussions. I'm actually encouraging him to play it. He was very nervous about it. I'm like, no, no, you should, you should try this. And I, I'm, we're here to help you, you know, with sensitivity stuff. If, if you get too like, tropey or outrageous with this character, we'll tell you. And, and, but I think it's a good way for other people to kind of explore, the other side, you know, and, and truly get an understanding of what people in the world actually feel through RPGs, RPGs, which is a safe place. So it's a good learning, I think, a good learning space. I
1: think the line, like it makes me think of that line, to get to know somebody, you have to walk in their shoes. It's like one of the easiest ways to walk through somebody's shoes because you can live as that person for a couple hours and then be brought back to your world and go, okay, well, hmm, I never experienced that in my life. again. That gets me thinking. Still, when you haven't experienced for real, but you get that feeling of "ho, oh, maybe that wasn't cool or mm-hmm.
5: yeah, I think the the thing that hasn't been mentioned, um, it hasn't been mentioned explicitly is the fact that every tabletop RPG is, in essence, a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you're approaching a group of, say, in Amber's case, you know, five straight white men, and there's no conversation about that fact, then you're going to run a greater risk of leaning more towards trophy style behavior if you're playing anything um, you know, non-heteronormative. Um, and it, depending on what game you choose to, sometimes that conversation is very explicit in the game itself, and that can work in your favor if you would rather play something like Monster Hearts instead of Dungeons & Dragons, um, Monster Hearts definitely has a particular bent more towards this style of character and exploring these things, and it sets up an environment in which it is um, perhaps safer um, or more comfortable to do something like that.
3: It's the perfect place, too, to sort of deploy the X card if you're not Mm -hmm. playing with it. Um, to make sure that that's part of sort of your, your social contract as a group, is to say, like, we have this mechanism for identifying when things get problematic. And it's not something that I'm saying to, you know, vilify you. But I'm saying it's time for us to take a step back and take a look at that behavior and make sure that it's not, you know, falling into an area that makes people super uncomfortable, or that, like, is just gross. And so like when, when you sort of reach that point, I think that it is like as your conversation and when you think of it that way, you know, making sure that you lay groundwork to make sure that those conversations are happening in a safe environment becomes a super important part of how you do that exploration and do it responsibly.
0: One thing that, um, so you know, Amber, you just mentioned, you know, you're all making characters for your Blades in the Dark game and one character, you know, one player from the beginning is saying, right, I want to make someone who is, you know, who is gender fluid. Um, and, you know, and that's, you know, that's great. Everyone kind of knows like, right, this is what we're doing going in. This is great. Do you think those are the kind of things that need to be established at character creation? Or do you think it's a situation where like, as you're playing, like, say you're playing your, your Dungeons and Dragons game or, mm. you know, whatever it is. And then as you're playing, you decide, you know what, from what the choice that my characters made, I think, you know, I, I didn't intend for him to be gay, but I think this actually might be something that is a part of his personality. You know, it, is it fa- fair is not the right word, but it, You know, if that's something that you start bringing out, and you know, other players might be caught off guard, is is that something that you should just kind of choose at the beginning, or is that something that you should allow to develop over the course of the game? Because I can, I feel like the reactions to that could be very different depending on who you're playing with.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll attempt to answer this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that again, like you said, it really depends on who, what you're going to be doing. Like if it's if it's um, a one-shot, I mean, you're going to play for two, four hours if that's something that, I mean, you're not going to live with this character. But I feel like if you're in a campaign setting and you're with going to be with a group of people, um, hopefully you guys have, hopefully the p- group of people you've played you know um, pretty well and would be okay with that. I mean, I didn't really embrace bisexuality at my birth. <laughs> so the birth of your character I mean, it's kind of natural, right? Like, if stuff happens in the campaign that your character starts exploring, you're like, well, shit. you know, Charlie is going to be, you know, gay now. I think this he's had enough or she's had enough experience with something, you know, these things, and that's what it's leading to. I think that should be okay. Okay, that was my answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that's completely true. I mean, most of us didn't come out right away and we questions ourselves so why wouldn't the character we create question itself also you know it's always through and like i've known people who were one way their entire life but end up with somebody different like they'll be straight or they'll be gay and they'll they'll meet that one person that person they fall in love with but that in their mind it's like well i'm still kind of like not really gay or i'm still not really straight do i fall in love with this person I don't know if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, no, that that makes a yeah. lot of sense. No,
1: make-
2: and there, there there's the potential for a lot of really great story fodder in there too. I mean, it has the potential to be spotlight hogging, but that that gradual realization that happens in the real world. People have lived, you know, heterosexual lives their entire lives, and and sometimes it's tragic. Sometimes families uh, are formed that turn out to be you know based on a lie, and that's one kind of story. Or there could be stories where somebody says, you know, there's this one person that I met and I never expected this. And those are the kinds of stories that you can't really create if you sort of make this decision at the beginning. Like you have a line on the character sheet. This character is heterosexual and that can't change. Otherwise, I'm changing alignment and there there are penalties for changing alignment.
0: So give every uh, character a Kinsey scale. Like, right. Mark yourself. This is
2: important. Right. You're lost Bisexual. (laughs) this happens. Right, exactly. Lawful bisexuals are just the worst. No, I am totally
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no.
0: Oh my god.
2: Totally kidding, totally kidding. But uh but the same thing could could be said about gender too because and in, in in so many ways that's so much more fraught than sexuality particularly in 2017, I think. Um that those stories are are really potentially very powerful too. But with all the caveats that come with that.
0: So let's say you're you're coming you're coming to a, a table like you're you're going to start a new game you're going to make characters and you're like you know this time I want to explore a character with a a different gender a different sexuality than I have like I, I'm a straight white white guy I'm going to see what it's like to play a uh, you know a someone who identifies as transsexual and you know I sit down to make a character Liz I want to start with you on this because you ran RPG chat for a long time you're very familiar with you know RPG tropes and mm-hmm. you know and the, the pitfalls and all just kind of the the default stuff. I feel like, you know, a lot of times when people make characters, we lean very heavily on tropes. Like, yeah, all dwarves are like this. Elves are like this. Mm-hmm. Wizards are like this. But, you know, I worry that if you start doing that for things like a character's sexuality or gender, you can start crossing lines very quickly. How do we... How do you know when to lean on... When when to lean on tropes and when it's, you know, you're just going to be offensive and kind of fall into a spiral? Like, how do you, how do you balance that? Because I feel it's different from normal character creation.
3: I think it is. And I think that there's... I think that when you are sort of calling on tropes and calling on stereotypes during character creation, like there's a certain level at which you are forming a baseline. Um, and that isn't to say that you should, you know, roll into playing a gay character just a 100%, you know, dikey motorcycle riding, like, <laughs> butch bruiser, which I, I would play, actually. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but I think that you know, there's, there's certain value in, in finding a place to start, and the trick is in understanding that that isn't your steady state, that your character should move and should grow and should change, and that what you start with is, is set dressing that Mm -hmm. that isn't your character's story. That isn't the the fullness of their sexuality or their gender identity or anything about them. Because what you have when you start is a piece of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. And that is not, you know, a three-dimensional thing, person who has had experiences and done things. And so you need to sort of go into that with the understanding that, like, even if you are calling on, you know, some tropes and calling on some stereotypes, you know, that's just your springboard. And that every time that you encounter Somebody new, or have a a new adventure, or you know, encounter a new challenge that your character should change and that their responses to the things around them should change, and that will affect everything from their overall personality to the way that they, you know, present in their gender identity or you know, the people that they're attracted to. And so, you know, I think that you know, part of that is just the recognition that you know, hopefully, the people around you will keep you in check. And also that you know it's it's your job as a responsible role player to approach those situations with the idea that you know nothing is static.
0: I like that idea of springboards. Emily, you and you and Chuck both have very strong theater backgrounds. Just you know, for people out there who are listening, who are wanting to make you know new characters that are looking at this you know are looking for starting points to you know, to springboard off, like Liz just said. Uh, do you have any kind of Thoughts, tips, guidelines about how to take these, take can I take these starting points and using those to develop, you know, more, again, more three-dimensional characters without just falling into, you know, a, a walking stereotype?
1: Well, I would, reading, studying, talking to people, like, if you only have seen, if you decide you're going to make a gay character, but you've only seen que- um, Will and Grace, then you're probably not going to do it justice. So at least if you educate yourself through like watching other things and listening and meeting people and talking and also an important con- conversation to have would be with your uh uh, GM, because if you decide to be a gay character, you need to know what the kind of world your gay character is in. Is it an acceptive world? Are you living in a world where it's hidden? You know, where is that world you're set in? What's their views? Because that's going to affect how you act and the kind of character you create also.
2: I- agreed, agreed. I-, I would also say, keep in mind that the characters that you're playing are people or elves or dwarves or, or what have you. First... And, and their sexuality second. And that sexuality informs things, or that gender informs things, but ultimately no amount of gay keeps you from putting on your pants one leg at a time. Uh, and if you try to ground that in a sort of universal <laughs> shared experience, then then that's, then that's going to help inform that. I, I would also say be extraordinarily careful of some of the tropes that are out there. Uh, if, if you are playing a character who's a gay guy, which is, you know, the, the experience that I'm able to speak to most exclusively to sort of make this like mincing Richard Simmons impression. Uh, you ask yourself whether you really need to have a whole character to do that. And, you know, maybe don't. Uh, those people exist. And, and honestly, many of us on the phone here owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude because we wouldn't be where we are today without their courage to live their lives loudly and openly. Uh, but there are other parts of the experience, too. Uh, and, and also be wary of tropes I would say like the the sort of misery porn trope like you know I I am I am gay or I am trans and therefore every day is constantly a struggle woe is me uh, that gets tiresome for everybody involved pretty quickly and you know also look into other things like TV tropes like bury your gays like maybe don't do that if you're gonna you know if, if you have to kill a gay person maybe have a few spares laying around uh, so you don't sort of bury <laughs> all of them so uh, that, that's that's sort of my advice. So because death is an important part of the narrative experience, and I don't want bulletproof gays either. Uh, but at the same time, I really like to not have every character that I invest in, and I see uh, much of myself in just completely disappear. Like Game of Thrones with Oprah and Martel, man, that broke my heart.
4: Oh, oh yeah.
5: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think, too, kind of building on the, you know, treat the character like a person mm-hmm. is the understanding that Everybody's experience is going to be different in real life and around the gaming table. So don't feel like you have to adhere to a specific story, right? Exactly. A- avoid avoid the negative tropes, but don't don't be afraid to play true to that character, what you feel, right? Mm-hmm. If it's problematic, hopefully your group is is going to be there and call you out on it or you can call yourself out, but don't feel like I'm playing I'm playing a Gender fluid character which means there have to be clear distinctions between when i'm feeling this gender or this gender mm-hmm. because that's not true for everyone if anyone right like everyone has their own story and you are there to create this character's story not to you know fall in line in some assembly somewhere
2: right we've all seen that story right it's, it's boring at this stage do something unique and creative with your character it's what we're here to do
0: um so Danny and Amber you both mentioned that you do a lot of one-shots Danny I know you just got back from playing games at Gen Con and Amber with your podcast You've been experiencing lots of new one-shots So I know that you'll see a lot more character turnover than most people do. So I'm hoping maybe you can you can speak to this a little bit How do you? What things do you do when you sit down like right? I'm going to be playing a character who is LGBTQI, Whatever when there's someone else that has that same identity at the table does that change how you approach it? Is it still kind of the same process? What kind of steps do you take if you've got someone with that same identity when you're sitting down to create a character?
4: Hmm. <laughs> I have to think about this.
5: I mean, I, I pretty much adhere to what I just said. Um, I'm never trying to play a character that anyone else at the table is going to be playing, mm-hmm. right? You could have six wizards at the table and I'm going to try to be the wizard that is unlike everyone else at the table in every way. Um, so if you're, you are, know, you're playing that same a character with the same gender uh, identity as someone else at the table, like have a conversation, right? Have a conversation, even if it's a quick one shot, like, sorry. So, uh, I I didn't phrase it right. So, so not as,
0: as another character at the table, but as another player at the character, as at the table.
5: Oh, okay. Okay. So you're playing your character is if
0: I was, yeah, if I was sitting down to play, play a game with Chuck at the table, it's like, right. I'm going to make, I'm going to create a, a, you know, A a male gay character. How does that? What kind of things does that change when there's another when there's a player with that identity rather than another character with that identity?
4: So like oh so like kind of like what's happening with me in the Blades and Dark where um I'm the only queer person but then like we have one player who's trying to do gender fluid is what you're kind of getting at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
4: how does that change the dynamic? Yeah. Or how does
0: that change how you approach like that the actual character creation process? Man, that's a hard. Anyone can jump I in think
3: I, I, I think that the most important thing that you can remember there is that there is such a line between, like, seeking knowledge and asking questions and asking mm-hmm. somebody else to do that educational labor for you is mm-hmm. that, you know, sitting down and having an open and honest conversation about making sure that in your your experience of creating a character that exists outside – of your own identity that you're doing so respectfully and intelligently and without touching on all of these problematic issues like that's great and i absolutely want to make myself available to somebody who wants to learn what it's like to you know be a queer woman and to you know have a dialogue and talk about the ways that that affects the the way that i interact with the world but at the same time like so much of that is on you Like, you've got a supercomputer that lives in your pocket, and you can research, Mm -hmm. and you can read, and there are, you know... Pick up a book, read a memoir, read a blog, follow people on Twitter who are different than you and absorb their experiences and figure out the ways that you can translate those into the way that you create your character and create your worlds, like not just your individual people on their adventures, but how that bleeds through into the entire world that you're building. And just, you know, be very conscious of whenever you're asking somebody to do labor for you.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and if I can piggyback on that just a little bit, there is so much great fiction out there for you to really start that process with. And it doesn't have to be a huge novel. There's a, there's a young adult novel that I recommend just to everyone called Anne on My Mind. Uh, and I, I certainly don't think that that gave me a great idea of what it's like to, to grow up or, or to come to terms with lesbianism. But it was such a tremendous, heart-rending book. Uh, in, in so many wonderful ways. And it's a super short read if you're an adult. Probably read it in an afternoon if you wanted to. Uh, or, you know, fan fiction that's out there. I mean, there, there are so many resources available, and fiction is a great tool for getting into the head of characters.
4: So going back to that one-shot kind of, like, question, it, I mean, it honestly really depends on the system that you're going to be playing your one-shot in. For instance, I've done a lot of, like, dungeon-delving you know that that kind of char- you're not really gonna have a lot of mm-hmm. uh, in depth um, you know discussions with other characters when you're trying to like you know get across a f- floor of lava. So I, I mean it really depends on what you're playing. I think for instance I just ran um, Breaking the Ice by Emily Carboss where me and my partner actually sat down and and played this game and we actually had a lot of discussion about our. I mean that whole thing is based around you know going on dates and stuff. So we actually had to have a long kind of like upfront talk about what our characters are going to be and how that's going to be, you know, how we're going to actually portray our characters, you know, in, in, in game. So I, I, I mean, it also really, like I said, really depends on the system you're going to use too. Will you even have a chance to talk about end character, your character's experiences? So, I mean, Going back to what we said earlier, you know, Chuck, uh, when you're talking about just being people, like it's a, you know, being bi does not define, is not the huge, you know, the definition of Amber. There's so much more to me. So maybe that doesn't ever come up. I'm playing a bisexual character or a gay character, but it doesn't ever come up because I'm playing a Dungeon World two hour one shot and we're mostly just trying to, you know, defy danger. (laughs)
2: Defy danger with sexuality. Oh,
4: yeah. my gosh. <laughs> no, we're playing the wrong game. That's Apocalypse World.
2: <laughs> See, but touching on Apocalypse
5: World specifically, I've run a lot of one-shots for that. And it's on the character sheet. Yeah. Right? There I, are... I
4: specifically remember uh, yeah. John's uh, sexy <laughs> female character yeah. at one time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I was
5: mean... super sexy,
4: man. Yeah, you were super sexy. Right. Well,
5: and I mean, one of the classes is even specifically built around that kind of thing. About, like, mm-hmm. the Skinner is built around that, and it's. I've had different experiences with that system, um, none of them negative, but in some, depending on who the players are and what classes they pick, it never comes up. It's not important that there is, um, you know, uh, what I would deem a more inclusive list listed there with the ability to expand beyond in others. It becomes important right out the gate, and it kind of defines that game session. So it just it really depends on who you've got at the table and then who they want to play ultimately.
0: So for the most part, you know, this podcast is supposed to focus on on players. But one thing while I've got everybody here um, for some of the people who are looking at running games. Um, so say you're, you're running a you're running a game doesn't really matter. The system, like, right, it's going to be an ongoing campaign. And you've got a player who's like, hey, I want to try to explore, say, what it's like to be a, a lesbian woman. Like this is something I want to explore you know, part, I feel like, you know, part to partially explore that you have to explore both, you know, kind of the good, but do you also, should you also bring in the bad? Um, I mean, for someone to really kind of explore what it's like to be a uh, gay woman, that means there's going to be some people who are completely awful to, to that character as, as a GM, is that something that you should bring in? So this person can properly, you know, explore this aspect of their character, or is that something that's best less left to the, the horrors of real life, I guess, and not, and not at the game table.
4: Damn. <laughs> Dale. Damn.
2: <Yes. laughs> so can we say every answer to that is going to be different? It depends on, on what your table is, I think. And, and whether that's a common thing, like do your characters r- routinely find themselves experiencing things that they can do nothing about and being disempowered by that? Uh, if so, if that's consistent with sort of the the language of your game, then go for it. Again, watch out for the misery porn. Um, but on the other hand, part of gaming is in some ways a power fantasy. And people are terrible to lesbian women. And frequently in the real world, you can't do anything about that. But in a fantasy world, you can magic missile that
4: Uh, Oh my gosh
2: So, you know, maybe give an opportunity To really leverage the coolness Of the fantasy To present a terrible situation That the characters are then able to fix And I think that would be So cool, and I haven't seen Very much of that, and that would be just really, really neat But that's, again, at my table Maybe your your table may be different
3: I agree I think that it's, uh, like, so long as you're This is you know, so long as you're doing it, that's, you know, in a safe space where you've negotiated that with your players that, you know, you are given an opportunity where you can, you know, be so empowering and to give your players an opportunity to, to tackle those issues in, in a way that can really sort of build them up.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's also because the lore of your land, like, It could be that in part of your land you've created, everything's okay, everybody loves it, and you know, you can have, you go to somewhere, and obviously, if you're creating a society that has closed borders and doesn't like anybody, they're probably not going to like differences either, and it kind of just goes like, it's part of the real-slash-fake world, I guess, because it's not real, but to make the world seem like a real
4: place. Right, I was going to say, like, reality dictates there's going to be things that are problematic, so I think just sheltering your care or your players from that um, again, if you have a safe space and you have the right people who are willing to experience this, um, you should probably throw that stuff at them every once in a while because it's real things that really happen, and maybe it also opens up a, uh, a way to talk about the, the why things are problematic and have a good discussion around it.
0: This is actually really fascinating because I mean that w- that was not the answer I expected in a game that I'm running right now. I think about half the players are are bisexual and one of them has decided to to play that in-game as well. So anytime they approach a romantic relationship, I'm like, right, this is going to go perfectly. Nothing bad will happen. It's all <laughs> going to be great. So it's actually really interesting to hear that perspective. Well, great. Okay, so uh, the very last, uh, last thing we want to talk about, I know this is running a little bit long. Um, how do you feel about the current level of representation of the LGBTQI community in RPGs right now?
4: I was actually, uh, sorry. I was actually kind of laughing when Emily was at the beginning talking about people being upset about uh, Wizards of the Coast being more, uh, more accepting, outwardly spoken, and it just. Oh, I think it's getting there slowly, but yeah. man, my God.
5: Well, I think like indie, a lot of the indie games, yeah, are really good at this, and I'm really happy about that. Um, but uh, the backlash for Wizards just.
1: Uh, I think it's funny that you're in a world where you'll accept that an elf and a human created half elves and that's okay, and there's half orcs and that's okay, but two women want to be together. No, oh, we just
6: yeah.
4: like that idea. oh, why, why? And I know, like, there's like this whole like, oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. I, it makes me so angry. <laughs> Let it out. Oh. <laughs>
2: And, and that backlash exists. Uh, Green Ronan just released the Critical Role campaign book, which I'm not somebody who listens to Critical Role, so I haven't picked it up. But uh, I understand that there was some unabashedly LGBTQ content in that, and there was an enormous backlash against them for it. And Green Ronin has made no – it has, has not been ambiguous about their support of LGBTQ (laughs) folks. Uh, So why people were surprised by that? There seems to be this continuing surprise. Like, why do they keep acknowledging that these people exist? Like, the modern world did not invent, you know, queer people. We've been around for a while.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's ridiculous that people were upset, I guess. They must not be Critical Role fans because there are many characters that you've met before because I I am a big fan of it. Watch the are I mean I know Matt was report because both of his um, wizards, the major ones you've met as NPCs, one was gay and one was bisexual and everybody why is all your wizards gay? And I was like my world is like this, you know
4: mm-hmm.
1: It's also because the characters most of the characters in this books usually sexuality is not the first thing he creates it's just part of their personality. you know it's not like okay, I'm gonna make this character be gay and then do this. But mm-hmm. people are stupid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Change is bad.
0: <laughs> so, so the overall diagnosis is there's progress, but there's still backlash, and that's just kind of a, a thing to to deal with. Or, I mean, is this something like, like right? We're on the right track. As long as we continue on this, everything will be fine. Or is it a n- no? We need to speed things up and make this happen faster. Um, I mean, I can see a very dramatic difference between now and when I started playing, you know, a decade ago. Yeah. But again, I'm coming at this from a very different perspective.
3: Well, I can think about this in this, so like, years ago. So back in 2002, uh, just after the Pokemon bubble burst, I was a Watsi retail employee. And it was an incredible time in my life uh, to be a woman working in a game store. And how frequently, like, to for me to be the only employee in the store and to have some white guy come in and be like, like a literal line delivered unto me is, do you have anybody in here who knows anything about these books? And I was just like,
4: uh, double birds.
3: I know. It was just like, mm, no, uh-uh." like I don't, nobody does. These, <laughs> these books are like, I'm a woman. I probably can't even read. So <laughs>
4: like,
3: um, <laughs> But, and I think that like that trajectory, like that we have, you know, slowly, you know, working towards a point where we're becoming more accepting of just having women at the table. And as that sort of, you know, circles of intersectionality broaden and broaden and broaden, we're making progress, but it is slow and it is in so many ways still such a boys club. And so I think that you know, we've made progress and it's good. Uh, but that certainly doesn't mean that we are making progress as fast as we should be. Um, but to that end, I think that, you know, as, as games become more and more queer that we are, you know, slowly but surely breaking down those very like thick walls of gaming being a white boys hobby and, you know, as those break down, we're seeing the production of games where queerness is at the heart of the game and we are, you know, we're, we're getting there. But I think that loud voices and queer mm-hmm. communities are essential and grow more essential every day because that backlash is loud and it's powerful and mm-hmm. it, it scares people away,
0: mm-hmm.
3: even if um, it's a minority
0: so actually, I think I saw, I think it was just last week I saw Wizards really something that their current estimate is that 40% of D&D players is women. Which, when I think yes. about what the hobby was, like I said five to ten years ago, is is mind-blowing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not as high as it should be, but it's one of those where, I, you know, when I think about playing 3, 3.5 edition
2: mm-hmm. and
0: going to a convention, and like, guys,
2: there's a girl over there.
3: Just <laughs> yes. the one. Here's just the, the one.
0: one. But yeah. So it's
3: and just like in like, the in the way that like for years, like if you were playing in like the late nineties, like what a like I felt like a novelty and it was gross ugh. all yeah. the time. Just gross.
4: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that like honestly, whenever I thought about Dungeons and Dragons when I was like a teen, I was like, no, I I'm never gonna play that game. Like there's it's just all dudes, I don't feel comfortable in these spaces. Every time I go to my game store, it's just a bunch of you know just like leering,
3: gross yeah, guys. Yeah,
4: right. Like I couldn't. Yeah, ugh. So, like, what's really, really important, I think, is at a very personal level, is if you have, if you are a straight white male or you know, cisgendered, whatever. Like, having a person who, you know, my friend Josh is the reason why I'm in D and D right now, and he's straight and white, and he just kept saying, No, no, you'll love this game. You'll love it. Come play with us. Come play with me. I'll make sure you'll you'll enjoy it and he really was the one who really fostered my development in ttrpgs so like just that at a very small even you know level is helpful to get more people involved and then adding more people um that way to so the community making it mm-hmm. stronger real Yep, that's my done i'm done rambling <laughs> yeah
1: I think a lot to do to, for growing the community has been all the great podcasts and mm-hmm. twist streams which have women on them. or you, There's even some that are just fully girls. I don't know if anybody's seen "Gets Girls and Glory or something. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: This is helping, like, go, oh, well, I'm not the only one who likes this. Oh, I mm-hmm. want to try this. That seems cool. Like, it's starting to peak. Like, if it wasn't for those shows, I wouldn't even have paid attention to it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, watching those and watching, like, kick-ass women, kick some f***ing in an imaginary world and I'm like I want to do that I want to be an 18th level druid yes
4: <laughs> right that's the same for me like I feel like the podcast um she's a super geek really like spurred on this like oh shit, I can be a GM these two women are you know GMing. oh I should be doing this too really really awesome so I credit a lot of she's a Ge- super geek for like also giving me that courage to like hey I have a voice too I should throw it out there so other people who feel apprehensive about getting involved in the gaming in general, feel like, oh, hey, look, she's doing it too.
0: Oh, that's that's so great to hear. Again, I've got my own perspective, but I love actually getting to hear these things and kind of getting confirmed just because, yeah, it's awesome. And we have awesome new people in the hobby, and it makes me really happy, mainly because, like, old white guys are annoying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Speaking as one, yeah, we... Okay. Um, so, as yes, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We're, uh, we're quickly approaching time. Um, does anyone have any last thoughts or important things that's kind of come to you as we've had this discussion that you, you want to share or like, you know, big, deep insights that uh, you think the world needs to know more than anything else?
1: Well, I was going to say, don't be afraid to try. I mean, if yes. you're thinking about it and you're not sure, I mean, probably have a conversation with your DM or GM and then just don't be afraid to try. You're not going to hurt yourself. You know, if you don't like your character, make them walk away and create a new one.
0: And uh, yeah, don't be afraid to try. If someone else at your table tries, be forgiving and understanding, and you know, help if you can. Um, well, everybody, thank you so much for coming on Performance Check and speaking with us. I've loved this discussion, and I, I personally have already learned so much. So before we, uh, before we close out, uh, we'll uh, we'll go around the circle and just kind of talk about where people can find you if there's any ongoing projects that you're working on. And Amber, I know you've got some great stuff to plug, so uh, let's start with you.
4: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at rocket worker. That's my personal one where it's just a bunch of means and trash. Um, but also, um, I have recently started a podcast called Shapeshift, and it's about my journey, um, going from being a player to a GM and I've run about four game. I've run four games now. Um, I'm also part of geek spectives network, um, which is mine and my friend Josh's, uh, podcast network. And, um, We also I'm also on a podcast right now called Evil is as Evil Does when that one uh, (laughs) that has a lot of problematic material that we just talked about. So maybe not the greatest to promote right now. But uh, anyway,
0: Uh, Chuck, what about you? Where can people find you?
2: Uh, I am on Twitter as innocuous Chuck. Uh, Feel free to follow if you want to see politics and too many selfies. Uh, (laughs) Nothing groundbreaking there.
0: And uh, Liz, what about you? Anything uh, you'd like to promote or if people want to uh, get in touch with you?
3: Hi. um, You can find me on Twitter at D20Blonde. You can follow me on Tumblr, .tumblr d20blonde.tumblr.com. I don't update it frequently, but sometimes I think about doing it, and, you know, thinking about it is half the battle. (laughs) Um, I'm also a frequent guest on local podcast Play Better. Um, which is an awesome podcast all about playing your games and playing them better. You can find them at PlayBetterCast on Twitter. Um, And as a general rule, I am uh, a lover of RPG indexes. And so if you have any indexing needs, publishers, you can always hit me up.
4: All
5: right. Sounds good. And uh, Danny, what about you? Um, I can be found on Twitter at Dirty underscore Daylight. Um, or Instagram at Dirty Period Daylight. Um, and I would apologize for any of the tweets, but I'm <laughs> not really sorry about any of them. So, yeah, it's kind of awful. And Chuck, never, never enough selfies there. Right, and uh, Emily, what about you?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mistress Miley is M-Y-L-I-E. Um, four on Twitter. You have to add the four because apparently there's four of us. And I am Mistress Miley on Instagram and without any numbers.
0: And uh, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore M underscore Green. Uh, it's it's less selfies and more dumb jokes, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> you can also follow me on Instagram at John underscore M underscore Green or uh, check out the work that I recently did over on Drive RPG uh, for a game called Edge of the Frontier. And that is it. Everyone, thank you again so much for coming on Performance Check. It was a blast talking with all of you.